Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great show coming for you this week. We got a panel coming in, two guests to help us break down a couple big off-season stories and the value of off-season programs within the fabric of the NFL. We got takeaways on Aaron Rodgers, Tim Tebow, the schedule release, Justin Fields, and rookie mini camps. And of course, we get to all of your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It is the month of May. That means this is the supposed slow time in the NFL calendar, but as you guys know, things really never screech to a halt when it comes to the NFL. It's the Albert Breer Show. We've got a fantastic show coming for you this week. We're going to try something a little different with our two guests that we have coming in, a cool panel that's going to address some big picture issues across the NFL and kind of give us some insight into what's going on in some of these locker rooms right now. With the quarterbacks, with the off-season program, all of that stuff, I think you guys are going to love it. We'll also get to your questions in the six-pack, but we'll start where we always do, and that's with the takeaways. And my first takeaway for this, the week of May 10th, 2021, I think the Aaron Rodgers situation is going to come down to the Packers' ability to effectively communicate with their quarterback And to me, this is really about finding a working solution that's going to take some compromise. And like, look, like I think this goes back to the way the Jordan Love pick was communicated to Aaron Rodgers. The fact that he had to find out about it the night of the draft, I think it would have made a world of difference if they had picked up the phone, Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, whoever it was, two, three days before the draft and just said, hey, listen, dude. There's a shot that we take. We wind up taking a quarterback here. We like the Utah State kid. We potentially could trade up for him. We just want to let you know. I think finding out about it the way that he did, um, yeah, I think I think is a problem. I also think you know wanting to know the plan, wanting to at least be apprised of what's going on at 38 years old is a factor for Aaron Rodgers. Um, and I think you know really, I think we have to listen to what Aaron's saying. I don't think anything happens by mistake. And I think, you know, in a certain way, and I've said this a few times in the show, the fact that he said what he said when he said it right after the championship game, I think tells you that he was looking around and seeing how aggressively the other teams in that round had had built those teams and how the Bills went out and they got, you know, Stefan Diggs for Josh Allen, how aggressively the Chiefs have built around Patrick Mahomes the last couple of years. And it's not just getting offensive weapons, veteran offensive weapons like Sammy Watkins. It's also going and fixing the defense in a very, very just urgent way and going getting Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark. And so I think Aaron Rodgers wants some of that. To me, the solution here has to come with, listen, dude, we're going to run it back for another year with the group that we have. And we are going to work forward now and start to, build with more urgency build the way the bucks are building with tom brady and like we're going to build this around you for the next two or three years because we recognize that you are an all-time great and we realize what you're up against down there in tampa and we realize that what you want is to get the most out of the years you have left playing football we're going to do that for you and so maybe the ship sailed on 2020 but giving him 2021 but giving him the promise that you'll do that if he continues to play into his 40s I think would go a long way and telling him we're going to communicate with you and we're going to give you some security that the job is going to be yours for the next two or three years and we're going to approve with a contract. That I think would do some good. I just don't think it's going to be solved by the Packers saying, like, listen, 
we'll listen to you, but we're not changing the way we do business. I like, I think at this point that's probably not going to be good enough. And I think that would only lead to this situation staying where it is, which is at this point at an impasse. Takeaway number two to me, the Tim Tebow signing, I don't I like, like in a vacuum, it isn't horrible. In a vacuum is a guy who's a really great athlete. Who's accomplished a lot of things on the fields of play uh, in different sports. Who's got a relationship with the head coach who can help sell the head coach's message. Uh, and it's a guy who wants to take one last shot at playing professional football while his body is still in the condition to do it. Totally get it. That part of it makes sense to me. I just don't know if it's worth it for Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. You know, I look at like the credibility issue this could create for Urban um, in his locker room. If Tebow looks, I mean, again, like, you know, he, he couldn't block me out there the first few days of camp. Like this can't look like fantasy camp, right? And if it does and they don't get rid of him quickly, then I think it could create a little bit of a credibility problem um, where, you know, like, again, like so much of this stuff is about trust and making it a meritocracy and creating competition. Well, if Tebow isn't able to create competition, then I think that creates a little bit of a credibility problem with Meyer, given his relationship with Tebow. I also think the attend that the circus that comes with Tebow might not be worth it. And so like, I look at these things and I just like, what's the payoff? The guy's not going to turn into Tony Gonzalez or Rob Gronkowski. So is the payoff getting your message across the rest of the locker room or having a guy who can be your messenger in that locker room? Uh, couldn't you get somebody else to do that? Like, I'm sure like Urban now is getting calls from other players who played for him at Florida or Ohio State that are on the fringes of the league asking for a shot because of this having happened. Like, couldn't one of those guys have been effective doing it? I mean, again, we're going to talk to our guests about this, but I don't know that a guy in the bottom of the roster is going to be the most effective messenger, you know, in trying to help establish your program. Takeaway number three, the schedule release is coming out on Wednesday night. And or the schedule is coming out on Wednesday night. The schedule release will be held on Wednesday night. The schedule itself will trickle out over the course of the day on Wednesday. And, you know, my immediate thought here, and we're going to have a story on the Thursday on Thursday on the MMQB on the process of putting it together. My immediate thought is it must have been super difficult for guys like Ani Bose and, and Howard Katz and the guys who put that schedule together every year. You don't know if the Packers are going to have Aaron Rodgers, for part of the time you were putting the schedule together, you didn't know if the Seahawks were going to have Russell Wilson. Like, you don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback in Chicago, in New England, um, in uh, in San Francisco. <clears throat> there are so many questions because of all the quarterback movement. I, like, it's just, I'd imagine that was a very difficult job on top of the fact that you're going from 16 to 17 games and dealing with different circumstances than you've ever dealt with before. And what's so interesting about that part of it to me, you know, and I talked to a couple of guys over the weekend who told me that they went from, you know, in a 16-game schedule, which is 256 games, dealing with, like, the number of combinations is one, it has, it has a single digit on the front of it and 20 zeros, whatever that is, quadrillion, quintillion, whatever, to now it being a 17-game schedule, 272 games, and it's a single digit with 40 zeros. So much more complex waiting through it. And then you know, getting the most attractive matchups is very, very difficult when there's been as much quarterback movement as there has been this offseason and when some of those loose ends still haven't been tied up. Takeaway number four, um, after doing some digging around, you know, I think a lot of people were wondering, why isn't the league higher on Justin Fields? And I think the truth is a lot of the league was pretty high on Justin Fields. I told you guys on the show last week that there were a handful of teams that I talked to that didn't have a quarterback need, didn't have a pressing quarterback need, or weren't in position to draft a quarterback that basically you know, conceded to me that they had Fields as the number two quarterback on the board above Zach Wilson, below Trevor Lawrence. And then you sort of start to sort through what some of the teams were doing in front of the 11th pick, which is where Justin Fields winds up going. So at seven, Detroit had a good offer for number seven. They wind up passing on it because Panay Sewell is there for him. At number eight, the Panthers, their pick comes down to internally the best defensive player on their board, J.C. Horn or Justin Fields. They decide to stick with the methodical building process, stick with 
and go with uh, and go with J.C. Horn. Number nine, the Broncos. What do they do? Well, they're looking at either a quarterback, and Fields was the one they liked, or the best defensive player on their board. That's Patrick Sertan. They wind up going with Sertan at ten. The Cowboys, right? They're sitting there. They didn't want to fall very far back. They really liked Mark Micah Parsons. They knew if they went too far back, that'd be a problem. They found a suitor in the Eagles who, despite being in division, was going to allow them to make that short move back where they could pick up an extra pick. So the Eagles come up and hop over the Giants at 11 to grab Devontae Smith. Cowboys fall back two spots. And then, of course, we have the trade. The Giants coming up with uh, with the Bears um, or the Bears coming up with the Giants to come and get fields. So there you had, again, circumstances at five, six, and seven leading to, and I think great players going in those spots, leading to those picks not moving, four, five, six, and seven. Um, and maybe less so six, but the team at six, Miami had moved back up. So four, five, four, five, and seven, great players in those spots, great players go. Eight and nine fields was under consideration as the top quarterback left on the board. He gets traded up to at 11. I think if Washington had moved up for anybody, it probably would have been Fields. I think if the Saints had moved up for anybody, it would have been Fields. And you have those five teams I mentioned before that had Fields number two. A lot of people liked Fields. And I think his fall was circumstantial based on the makeup of the draft class. And I think the Bears walked away having like really pulled a coup um, to go up and get him at 11. Because I don't think in most draft years, a player like Justin Fields would have been around at 11, which... Good job, Ryan Pace. Good job, Matt Nagy. You got your guy. Finally, takeaway number five. Um, there were three rookie mini camps last weekend. There will be 29 more this coming weekend. feel terrible for these rookies being caught up in this mess between the union and the league. And we're going to talk to our special guests about this. They're going to give us great insight in the, on how necessary offseason programs are. Um, yeah, but near-perfect attendance last weekend. <clears throat> the Colts, of course, Sam Ellinger had a awful like tragic tra- tragic situation his family his brother passed away he wasn't there but the rest of the colts rookies were raiders perfect attendance jets perfect attendance and i expect the same thing this coming weekend and these rookies are being asked to stay away from mini camps when how many of those guys really have like a spot locked up have their position on the roster locked up have playing time locked up i'd say almost none of them have playing time locked up I, like the majority of them don't even have a job, you know, like guaranteed. And so, you know, like for those guys who are trying to fulfill a dream to ask them to stand down and not show up for a mini camp when it could put them behind the eight ball with their individual teams. I think that was a really tough ask. And so, you know, I think that it may have been better if the union had handled that by telling those guys, Hey, look, like it's okay if you guys show up, we understand we're going to handle this as a veteran matter when we get to dealing with phase two and phase three of the offseason program. By the way, phase two of the offseason program starts on Monday, which is the start of walkthroughs. It's the start of on-field instruction from coaches to players. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what kind of attendance um, the 32 teams have at that. And we'll get to our special guests right after this. All right, well, we've had so many like quarterbacks people in here over the last few weeks and getting ready for the draft. It feels like that's sometimes all we talk about. So I want to do something a little bit different this week. And so I'm going to kind of let the defense punch back a little bit here. We're going to have a little bit of a linebacker podcast. Um, and guys with, guys with much bigger necks than me are on the Zoom now. Um, and uh, so I want to welcome in um, well, two guys who are good friends of mine, guys I've done work with. Um, We've got former first-round pick, former Ohio State, Patriots, Lions, of course, Cowboys, Dolphins, linebacker Bobby Carpenter, and then former second-round pick, I think, Ted, right? Like you were a second-rounder? Right. That's right. right. Former second-rounder and Super Bowl champion Patriot linebacker Ted Johnson. Welcome into the show, guys. Good to be here. It's good to see you, Bobby. And, Thank uh, you, Albert. Good to be with you, Bert, man. Yeah. Okay, so well, – I appreciate it. See, the last time I – well, Go before ahead. we get in there, I mean, I, I when I got drafted into Dallas, they used to have put on the videos of Ted Johnson playing the stack defense and going down and smoking guards, and that was like our 
expectation of what we were going to have to be. So I had to watch this guy my entire rookie year, and we just would look at people like, nobody's capable of doing that in this room, Coach. You can just take that off the tape. Uh, you, you made you made my day, Bobby. That uh, that's that's a cool story, man. I you, I think you shared that with me before, but uh, yeah, I, you know what? I didn't know any better, Bobby. I was that was that stun and separate technique. That that's uh, the only reason I lasted as long as I did in the NFL, man. So, uh, all right. So here's where I want to start, guys. I want to start with, you know, obviously some of the news that's happening now. And um, I want to start with Tim Tebow, but I want to kind of like take a different angle with you guys here because I, I just, you know, one of the first things that I got back from somebody um, in the you know, aftermath of the news yesterday, and we're recording this on Tuesday, was um, just kind of like how Urban may have opened a can of worms for himself here in bringing in Tim Tebow and how... Like there are probably former players of his that might take this a certain way and might look at this a certain way and might start calling him and asking him for a job. Um, let me start here with both of you guys as former players. When you first heard the news that a guy who hasn't been in a you know in an actual game in nine years, who hasn't been in a training camp in six years, and who isn't going to play the position that he played exclusively you know, as a collegian and in the pros, what was the first thing that popped in your head? You know, I'll, I'll go Bobby. I just, I think for, you know, for me, it was, it was, here we go with urban Meyer, you know, I mean, there's just, there's something about urban Meyer where you kind of think, you know, the, the college coach going into the NFL, you know, he has to be very careful about doing college things um, and playing. If it's playing favorites, um, if it's, it's being more political, um, and Urban Meyer, we know, is a very stubborn guy, and I think it's his way or the highway kind of guy. And we've seen college coaches that come in the NFL that kind of coach that way, and more times than not, you know, Bert and Bobby, I think it, it, it doesn't work. And so uh, Nick Saban was a, it's probably an example of kind of that not working out in Miami. So when you, when you sign a guy like Tebow who hasn't been in the league uh, for the last whatever, he hasn't played in a football game since 2012, he's almost uh, 34 years old, and he's playing a position he's never played, that is not going to go over well in, in the locker room. And so um, there's already been some questionable decisions that Urban Meyer's already done earlier this offseason um, that I think guys are going to kind of like roll their eyes with. So he has to be very, very careful. My, my thing is, Bobby and you guys and Bert, is that he's in Jacksonville, Florida, you know, head coach of a, of a team in a city that's not too dissimilar to – Oh, I don't know, Tallahassee, Florida, uh, Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, College Station, Texas, Columbus, Ohio, in the sense that it, it has more of a college feel to it. And so I think he can thinks he can get away with doing college-type football things as a head coach in the NFL because of where he's at uh, in Jacksonville. It's very much a collegiate town more than it is a pro town. So I feel like he feels, you know what, I can do what I want to do down here and it's going to be okay. I just worry that the guys on that team, he might lose them because of decisions like this and signing a Tim Tebow who hasn't been in the league and hasn't played the position of tight end ever in his life. Bobby? And so, you know, full dis yeah, full disclosure, I, I I talked to her on Saturday night. He was back in Columbus. And, you know, I was, I was very impressed. I was curious if he was going to have success in the NFL. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think he has changed a little bit the way that he coaches. He has a really good staff. He has, I think he has a nice mix of college and NFL guys when he's kind of assimilated them together. Uh, and creating the culture that he wants uh, you know, with the staff. Um, I think they did a pretty good job in the draft. Um, I guess the biggest concern for me, you know, it's, it's similar you know, to what Ted said. It, it, it's not the fact that you're bringing in one of your former players and you're giving a guy a shot. It's the last time he played, Albert, was the same season I played. <laughs> and I look at that and I'm like, okay, he's a little younger than I am. Like, I'm 38. I work out every day. I can still run. Thankfully, my knees are still in pretty good shape. So I can still move a little bit. I was sitting there talking to my wife about this last night. She knows she knows football pretty well. And she's like, I don't see what the big deal. Like, Tim's in good shape. Like, physically, I think he could be able to handle it. But it is, I could sit here and tell you, like, the position-specific skills that you have to develop over the course of your life, like, you have no idea how hard it is. Playing quarterback is wholly unique. You don't touch another human being. They're going to ask him to either be an H-back or be an inline tight end and get up and block a guy on the end of the line of scrimmage. And I, 
I, I just I don't think that he could block either one of us right now, and I don't think that he could shake me in coverage at this point. I mean, he's like a four seven guy, and that was when he was younger. And so I look at this like he physically he looks the part, but just the skills, and he he'll work out fine, and he's a grinder, and he's tough, and, and all those things. He's a great human being. I just don't see what he's going to be able to add to the team. Like he he doesn't have the skills. It would be no different. Then if you took Jason Witten, who's a Hall of Fame tight end and one of the best of all time, say, hey, Witt, you know, we're going to bring you in for quarterback. You know, we think that you've been able to do this. You know, you were really good. You know offense, but it's a completely different set of skills, you know, with hand placement and all of these different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I look at. Like, it took me a year and a half in the NFL to, to really get my hands to where they needed to be at a position that I had been playing my entire life. Do you? Here's, here's the thing, just to, uh, just to jump in yeah. real quick, is – what what Tim Tebow is going to face is not an easy uh, working uh, kind of conditions and in the sense that there are going to be guys, they're going to be out to kind of get him. You know, if, if Tim Tebow is, is his, his, his job on a certain play is to block me on the end of the line, Tim Tebow is not blocking me. If I'm a defensive end, there, there's <laughs> going to have, there's going to be this kind of feeling like, you know, I can't believe this guy's out here and he's really trying to block me. Um, and you know, for, you know, a guy that's never played this position who has been out of the game for this long. And I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be really, really tough. And then, you know, you, you read things about, you know, urban, maybe bringing him in because of his fire, because of his commitment, because of, of his leadership, you know, that those are, those are things that you have, you have to be so, uh, you got to bring something more to the table than just the intangibles at this point. Guys aren't going to care about the fact that he won two national championships in Florida many, many years ago. Um, so he's going to have a very difficult time, I think, just being accepted in that group because it's going to be perceived. I know you guys are Urban Meyer guys that he's a teacher's pet, and that doesn't usually go well in an NFL locker room. <laughs> no, hey, believe me, Ted, I'm, I'm on board with you and everything that you're saying with that. And I, that's why I don't think it's going to work. If he wanted to do this in 2012, if instead of going to Ohio State, Urban goes to Jacksonville at that point, he's just getting, you know, he's played five, six years, and you try to make a pivot or a transition, I think guys might look at that a little bit differently. But the fact that he hasn't played football in eight years, I mean, yeah. how hard that's going to be. The guys in the locker room, they're going to – you got guys in there are 22, 23 years old in the prime of their lives, and they've been working on this for a long time. Like Ted said, they're not going to take kindly to someone out there trying to do it for the first time. Defensive ends, outside linebackers, those guys are going to try to destroy him. And and frankly, like I said, physically, he's strong enough to do it. But the skill that it takes for these guys that have been working on it for the last 15, 20 years of their lives, like you can't overcome that in an offseason. And it's like... I would think like, and, and to me, what I what I what popped in my head when you said what you said, Ted, was like, there's a fine line between being the guy everybody like looks up to, or the guy everybody kind of like looks at as the standard, and being a practice hero, right? Like, isn't there like, like you have to, don't you, you, you have to at least like bring something to the team before you have the credibility as a player for what like like where what you're doing is going to rub off on anybody else. Is that a fair way to look at it, Bobby? Like you have to be doing something like you have to be capable of doing something for the team. Like to go from just a guy who's like practice hero to a guy who is like, all right, like this guy's rubbing off on everybody else. Yeah. Your, your best, the, the urban, one of the things he always talked about and they have in the weight room at Ohio state, like your best players have to be your best grinders or your best leaders. It's not the other way around. And so it needs to be guys at the top. Tim can't be, you know, the offseason you have 90 guys. He can't be the 85th guy on the roster and be leading. Guy, no one's going to follow that. Like that's, and that's the difference there. Like you can't be that person unless you're providing, like Ted said, some tangible value to the team where people look at this and say, okay, you know, this guy can do the A, he can do B, and he's really, really good at his job. And by the way, he does it all the right way, works his butt off, and does all the things the team asks him to do. And with the beauty of, you know, the NFL, I think if you, if you ask uh, guys in the NFL what they think about Tim Tebow, my feeling is most most guys would say kind of agree with what Bobby and I are saying. They, we're, we, it just it, it's not a good look. They would question it. Um, they would be a little bit uh, critical, I think, of that move. Um, and, and, the, and the thing that you got to realize is guys just want to win football. Can Tim Tebow help them win a football game? That's what we most want. Is that how can we look good and play good so that we get paid? 
And can we win football games? And I'm not so sure. I just don't see – those guys aren't going to think that maybe Tim Tebow is going to help them win football games. So that's the problem number one. And then I would say one of the things that I think is going on here, you guys, is – and I thought this back when Tim Tebow was in the Patriots uh, training camp. I don't know how long ago that was, eight years ago? Yeah. My feeling was back then, you guys, was that Bill Belichick was doing Urban Meyer a solid by having Tim on the on the roster. Why? Because Tim Tebow's played three years in the NFL. He needs to be on an active roster for just three more games to get a vested season to become fully vested and get lifetime benefits. So my feeling is this is Urban Meyer doing a solid for his buddy. Um, you have him on the roster for just three games. Now he's got four credited seasons. Now he has lifetime benefits. To me, that's him kind of taking care of Tim. That's a side thing. And that's that's what I look at it. Uh, you can be skeptical, but that's kind of how I feel that maybe he's going on. That's here. a fascinating wow. point, though, <laughs> isn't it? Like that's sort of like that's a really like I, I don't know. I don't think most people would like kind of like dig into that. That Bobby, that's kind of an interesting point, you know? It is. It's very cynical by Ted, but it's not. Doesn't it's mean cynical. that it's not true. <laughs> no, but it is. I'm with you because you know guys who you're going into your fourth year, and there's so many guys like, hey, just got to make the team, get through the first couple games. And then you get set up with a lot of things in your life to be able to, with your retirement and everything else moving forward. And I'm glad you brought up, Ted, the fact he played for the Patriots. He played for the Jets. It wasn't like he had a one-stop in Denver and it didn't work. Like, there were other smart coaches. You know, Tony Sperano's up there with the Jets. You know, he helped, you know, I helped start the Wildcat phenomenon down in uh, Miami. You know, he's up with Bill Belichick, one of the most creative coaches you're going to find. And it didn't work then when he was really in the prime of his life. And so now at 33, 34 years old, like I just don't see it working at this point in time. How do players view the circus that comes with it? Because I think like, I guess you sort of dealt with that, Bobby, with T.O. and like Dallas. Yeah, but T.O. is a hall of he's a hall of famer. Like <laughs> yeah. Ted said, like you're you're bringing right. other value to <laughs> yeah. the table. So you're gonna go out there and have eight catches for a buck forty and two TDs. <laughs> like, all right, there's a lot of nonsense going on, but you're adding value, and that's the thing with Tim. Like, you're not adding the value that people will look at and say it justifies everything else. Like, you can handle that stuff. And you're great. You know, Ted played with Terry Glenn. You know, he's a little bit of a different dude, too. I was with him in Dallas. But you know what? Terry would go out there. Terry was tough as nails. He'd go catch everything. And he was really damn good on the football field. was. was. Right. So, like, so let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you this then. Because Ted sort of touched on this before. Bobby, do you think there's a risk to, to Urban's credibility with the locker room bringing him in? Like, do you think that it's, like, if you are trying to sell – the best player is going. The best players are going to be here. This is a meritocracy. I'm going to promote competition, like and like. I don't know for lack of a better way of putting it. Maybe some guys view it as like Tebow's on scholarship here. You know, like do you think that there's a do you, do you think that there's like any sort of risk to credibility or do you think it's just all right? Well, if it doesn't work out in a few weeks, we're all going to forget about it a month after that. I think if it doesn't work out in a few weeks or even during training camp, we'll all forget about it. If he somehow gets on the 53-man roster, then I think there will be a healthy degree of cynicism, and there should be, because I, I can't foresee a way that they would not be able to have two or three tight ends or H-backs or whatever you want. You, you couldn't justify, I think, that he'll be one of the best 53. Okay. All right. Well, last thing on this then, what would happen if you guys went to training camp? Oh, dude. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. There was who was the oh gosh, there was a there was a quarterback for AM. You remember uh Bert back in the day who played special teams for the Oilers and then he came oh. and, what was his name? He was uh he was he was a quarterback and I can't remember his name, dang it. But he played fullback and Parcells brought him in to play fullback. Uh he was drafted by the Houston Oilers. Anyway, I, I can't remember his name. Um it, it'll 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 come to me, I'm sure, but I, I remember when he came to, to uh, the Patriots and he was a guy that, again, played collegiately uh, as a quarterback, came to the NFL, and Parcells tried to turn him into a fullback, and I'm going up against him in training camp, and I am like, there is, I'm trying to destroy this guy, Bobby, taking on lead, a, you know, lead draws and A-sizes, and I am just – I'm trying to – because there's no way as a linebacker I'm going to let a former quarterback embarrass me in training camp or, you know, and, and so to me, guys are going to really be teed up when they go against Tim Tebow because of the fact they feel like, well, it's, a, you know, he's, 
you know, a, a favorite of Urban Meyer, that he doesn't deserve this, the roster spot, that he's taking someone else's job, that he's really not in a tangible way going to maybe help this football team. That And so guys are going to almost take it personal. And I hate to say it that way, but um, I, I can understand, uh, you know, that that's probably going to be a dynamic in training camp that you probably need to look for. I find this to be a fascinating storyline. In fact, I find just Urban Meyer getting into the NFL a fascinating storyline. And I like that he's in Jacksonville because he feels – in Jacksonville, I think what Urban feels like is he's safe to be kind of the same guy he was in college, that he can control the media there, that they love him there already for because of the success he had when he was a college coach there. And so he's not going to face a lot of criticism from the media or the fans with the Tebow decision unless he's on the team and they're doing bad. That's when it'll really start coming down on him. He has to be careful. You know, Bobby, was there ever a player that you – guys saw in training camp that you wanted to kind of test like where it was like that like with Ted's story about like a quarterback moving over to fullback or maybe a guy was hyped or maybe a guy came in and with a little too much swagger and you wanted to take him down a notch or test him like that's got to be fairly common right yeah there's always guys I mean and, and this this is the situation I had just left Dallas. Des Bryant was a little bit like that, but he could back it up with his play. And that's the one thing Ted <laughs> right. keep going back to. Back it up with your play. It's cool. Guys will handle all the, the crazy stuff. There was a receiver that we drafted in Detroit my second year there. Uh Tyvis or Titus. Titus Young. Oh, he was like, Titus Young. Yeah. And he could actually play, but this dude was a, a weirdo. He's gotten in a lot of trouble yeah. since then. There was a lot of like, but stuff like the him. dude. He like thought he was better than Calvin Johnson. And I'm like, dude, this guy is one of the best <laughs> receiver, best players I've ever seen in my life, best athletes. And he was complaining. And this is this is the, the honest truth. Like the second or third, fourth game of the year, somewhere early in the season, he actually tried, we're in a two-minute drill, and he tried to switch and go take the X from Calvin during the game. Like Stan Jefferson, um, who was our uh receiver, receivers coach, yeah, who played a long time in the league. Like afterwards in the locker room. Oh, Sean Jefferson about, who would have played Jefferson, with Ted. Sean, Sean Jefferson played Sean. with Ted, yeah. Oh, dude, Sean yeah. was about Sean ready Jeff. to fight him. He was about ready to fight him in the locker room because he <laughs> he goes, what are you doing? He goes, man, I wasn't going to get the ball over at you know, whatever position I was. He, so he went over to the X and Calvin just acquiesced. <laughs> he's a great guy and didn't want to get a penalty. Like, like yeah. dude, like guys used to abuse him in practice. The DBs, linebackers, like, you know, as he catch the ball and you just knock him down as he's running back because it was like, dude, you, you you're a good player, but you're not him. Like you can be fine, work your way through it. There's so many guys come in and just think they're the, the greatest now. It's Ted was at the end of it. it is even crazier now, like with how the expectations of guys coming in and just think they've arrived. And like, dude, you're playing with grown men. This isn't college anymore. It's totally different, Bobby. And we can we can get sidetracked on this, Bert, because I have all <laughs> kinds of thoughts on that. Today's athlete. They don't respect the NFL like I think our generation, the generation before. I mean, I, I see guys come into training camp for high first, you know, high draft picks, and they don't pass the conditioning test. It's like I yeah. see it all the time. I used to see it when I covered the Texans. I've seen it, you know, you, you hear about it here in, in New England where it's so don't get me started on that, but it's Bobby's absolutely right. Today's athlete is usually more times than not, they don't respect the game as much as I think guys that came before us. But okay, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna get off my lawn, guy, right now. So. All right, yeah, I and mean, that's gonna be a separate podcast. Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm all in um, for bashing younger people and bashing like Generation Z. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll put together like a separate podcast for that. Uh, the last thing on the Tebow thing, could do you guys think that you could make it through a training camp practice right now today? Yeah, one practice. It's never the practice. It's, it's not one, right? It's, a, it's, the, it's, it's the waking the, up the day after. <laughs> three yeah. years ago, whatever, I went through, I practiced Ohio State and did some bowl practice with them. I did three days. First day, great. Second day, ate about four ibuprofen. The third day, like, I had to get in the hot tub for like a half an hour. I mean, it was brutal. I could, and I'm like, there's no way I could do this for an entire season. Like, if you managed it, maybe. But you play a game, you would literally be just dragging out until – the next Friday before we could do anything again. That's, that's where it is. It's the recovery. I think I could last like a week, believe it or not, because they don't have two days anymore. And they, and every third day they true. get off the training camp. Uh, so, you know, like, yeah, I, it, I can maybe last a, a week. And then I would, I would, I would bow because I'm just too old and, and too many things would fall apart. But the, 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 um, the conditions at training camp, you see, here's the thing about the training camp. Now, 
is a lot of times football, they would test you to see how tough you were. Like who was still standing after the fourth day of consecutive two days and physical nine on seven and all, you know, these, these drills, who was still left standing? And you could evaluate guys on toughness back, back in the day, you know, before 2011. Now you, you, that element of, of kind of testing guys and evaluating guys toughness is out the door because of the new rules. So it's very hard. It, it's just, you know, guys come out of training camp um, feeling better than they ever have than, since, since yeah. the time that Bobby and I played. So Yeah, there's not like the weeding out. For, like, I, it used to be almost like right. weeding out, yeah. right? Right. I right. forgot about that because that did happen my last couple of years. And I'm like, man, Ted, if this would have been the case my whole career, <laughs> I would have felt great the whole time. Like, ourselves, right? this is no joke. We just started the first day in pads, and I guarantee you it's the same story for Ted. Our first team period – was short yardage goal line. Like, I thought it was a joke. I'm like, am I back in high school? And they're like, nope, this is they're like, why are we putting this in right now? Not base defense, first down, short yardage goal line, live to the ground tackle. Like, who's tougher? Are we going to stop him? Are we going to let him score? It was crazy. I believe it's true. And I think, I think now, I, don't, I think you have five practices in shorts before you even get yeah. to the pad. So it's very much a different game now, Bert. Yeah, I'm assuming, like, so for those who don't know, Bobby and Ted were brought into the league by the same guy. So they probably have a lot of stories. (laughs) They probably have a lot of stories that match up with one another. Um, Both Bill Parcells guys. So uh, I want to hit a couple other things before we get you guys out of here. Um, And the next thing's like sort of the Rogers thing and um, kind of, you know, where this is right now and, you know, his willingness to show up to the off season program. And I, I, I think we probably won't see him at least until training camp. Um, if you're the if you're the Packers, if you're Matt Lafleur or you're Brian Gutekunst, how do you handle this? Because I just the more I look at this guys, the more I look at their roster, and it's a lot of guys that are in the heart of their prime. You know, like David Bakhtiari and Devontae Adams and Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos and Jair Alexander and Kenny Clark. And you look at like up and down the line, it's like a bunch of guys that are right in the heart of their prime, and they've been in the championship game two years in a row, and. You know, obviously the communication, I think, has been an issue between Rodgers and the team. And, like, so if you're the GM or the coach, like, what do you do now? Like, like how would you handle this? Go ahead, Bobby. I guess uh, it, it's it's really tough. And I have to detach myself a little bit from knowing Aaron uh, somewhat because I, I love the guy and I think he's phenomenal. You know, the last 10 years, the only offensive player you've taken in the first round is the guy you drafted to replace him. You know, you have a pretty good you have a pretty good roster. I think he's upset with the fact that he's beginning to stare down the barrel of time and he watched what Tom Brady did in Tampa and he's thinking, why are we not being ultra aggressive trying to add talent? We're right on the cusp. We got there. We lost to Sam Fran. We got there. We lost to Tampa Bay. Why can't we try to push this thing over the top? And you're trying to prepare for the future. Whereas guys get laid in their career, they don't care about the future. Like I'm trying to win today. Forget about next year, five years from now. I'm trying to win now. And I think that's the biggest rub that Aaron's had. He's been in Green Bay, a place that a lot of guys don't like to live in the offseason. They don't necessarily want to be there. It's not the most glamorous place in the world. He's embraced the city. He's embodied everything that's been about it. You know, I don't think he got along with McCarthy all that well. Um, he's in a situation now where I, I think that him and LaFleur get along reasonably well, but he just, I think he's at, at his wits end. He sees some of these other guys like Stafford's leaving Detroit and going to LA. And I think all of a sudden he's like, man, it's not even the location. It's just, I want to go to a team where I feel like they're all invested in winning with me for the next three or four years. And you see Tom Brady do it. You see Matt Stafford do it. And I think that that's the biggest thing. So I, I honestly believe that he might try to Carson Palmer this thing and just sit yeah. out. And I, I think he's trying to balance it because he loves Green Bay. He loves the fan base and how collegiate it is up there, and he doesn't want to ruin his reputation with it all. But they're kind of treating him like Brett Favre. And Favre was oscillating back and forth every year, so you've got to try to play him for the future. Aaron's been nothing but committed, showed up, done everything they asked. And so that's why I, I think he's going to stay stay firm on this. And I think you have to eventually take the best package you can get for him because you can't go into your camp and have your starting MVP quarterback not there yeah look I, I think I think the best thing for both sides is that you, you part ways and I think the sooner uh the better uh, quite honestly because you know what probably at the end of the day it's probably what Aaron wants is to to get a fresh start 
And I think it would it would be uh, in the best interest of the Green Bay Packers to get a fresh start because let's, I think there's just too much underlying stuff there, right? I mean, look, here's you look at a lot of these quarterback situations. I think um, in Seattle with Russell Wilson, I think that thing's broke. Yeah, can they mend fences? Can they make it work? Yeah, and they're they're going to have to. I'm sure this year. But there's always going to be this underlying unresolved issue between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks until they eventually part ways. And I think the same thing uh, with Aaron uh, is that there's always going to be this underlying issue, this distrust. They're not going to trust each other. And so you cannot win a, uh, you know, a championship when you have distrust between a franchise quarterback and the organization. I would think they need to, to cut, cut bait right now um, because I think Aaron, that's what he ultimately wants is a new start. Um, and I think the Green Bay Packers would be wise to do that because if they acquiesce, I don't know if he wants more money. I don't know if it's it's what he wants, more power. But at this point, I, I think it would best serve both uh, you know entities if they were to cut bait and move on at this point. I thought Bobby brought up a great point there because I do think like athletes are more cognizant of what's going on around them than ever before. And I just – I mean, there's a big part of that, Bobby, when I watched that press conference after the NFC Championship game, like he's looking around and he saw the Bills go and get Stefan Diggs for Josh Allen. He saw the way the Chiefs have built around Patrick Mahomes and he sees like the Bucks mortgaging contract after contract. And like you look at the way the Bucks built to me, like it's like 2023, we don't like we'll worry about that when we get there. You know what I mean? Like we're not concerned about that. Like, cause we have Tom Brady today and we don't know if he's going to be around in a year or two, but we're going to do the best we can to build around him right now. Like, so like how much of this, like, do you guys think is, you know, just athletes being cognizant of a, what they're up against and b the sorts of like conditions that maybe guys are going up against are in. I, I, I see. I look, you mentioned Brady. I think Brady yeah. screwed it all up for. I think Brady is basically like, you know, because well, it worked. It wasn't just that he did it because it worked. It right? worked, dude. Yeah. You, got, you got Russell Wilson at the Super Bowl with his wife next to the commissioner, and they're like, yeah. and he's sitting there watching Tom. Like Tom just switched teams, pretty much got to bring in whoever he wanted, got paid what he wanted. He's got power, uh, you know, and he's and he's got all these businesses off 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 field, and he's. In the biggest game, and he wins the whole thing. It's like they all want what Tom has, and so now you know. In Tom, obviously, Aaron considers himself, fancies himself in the same you know category as Tom, even though he's not hasn't come close to winning as many Super Bowls. But he still, you know, he feels like he's in that same uh, you know degree of, of of ability, and so he wants the same amount of power and probably uh, liberties that's been extended to Tom in Tampa Bay in Green Bay. And, you know, the, the Green Bay organization, it's just they're not going to do that. You know, it's a totally different deal. And so he probably sees what happened with their, uh, Tom in Tampa Bay, and he's like, that's what I want. And uh, Green Bay is not going to uh, create a work environment uh, like Tom has down there in Tampa Bay. And we can leave the Aaron, thing, Aaron topic with this. Like, this goes back to Favre. And remember, the biggest rift with him that's happened in Green Bay was when they passed on bringing in Randy Moss. Mm-hmm. And he goes to New England and all of a sudden blows it up. And Brett is furious. And Aaron's probably looking at this because, you know, he's there. He's seeing it happen in real time. And when you're a young player, you don't understand it as much. Now he's looking back on it and saying, they didn't do it for this guy who's one of the best. I just won the MVP. They're not doing it for me. Like, it may be time for me to try to get out of here before I'm like Brett and a little bit too old. I can do this right now and have a chance to go get a ring. What do you, okay. you think's missing though? I, I mean, I don't know. It's like I don't know what Aaron like. What he's got one of the best receivers in the league. He's got well. Good- so here it is. Here it is though, Ted. Like to me, like I I think this is a nuance to the Buccaneers thing that like a lot of people didn't realize. Do you know all their touchdowns were scored in the Super Bowl? All their touchdowns were scored by guys who were acquired after Brady. Yep. Like that's an amazing fact. When you look at all the talent they already had there, whether it's Evans, Howard, Brate, Godwin, like all the guys they had there to begin with, right? And they still, like, their touchdowns were scored by Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Leonard Fournette. Like, all the score. Like, so, I think that's, like, sort of something that, like, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers looks at. Yeah. Like, yeah, I like what I've got with me. But, like, in a game, like, we're, 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 the mar- we're, we're in a level now where the margins are like this. We have to win on the margins. Yeah. Like, I need you to start to do things on the margins that are going to get me a little extra. At least that's my read on it. Yeah. Um, all right, so a couple last things, guys. 
Number one, I want to get your take on the importance of offseason programs. Obviously, this has been, been, been a big fight between the union and the league over the course of the last couple of months. The union's trying to get players to skip out. I think it's a really tough sell if I'm anybody but a star player, right? Like the, the idea you could lose playing time, the idea you could lose your job, the idea somebody's getting in front of you. I just think the NFL is too damn competitive on a player-for-player basis for guys to say, unless everyone's not showing up, like I'm going to take a stand and not show up. So you guys were in the league for a long time. Like how important do you think the months of April and May and June are? And do you sympathize with the guys who are having to make that decision now based on the fight between the union and the league? You know, I think it, I think it's tough uh, because every player, their, their personal life and their situation is going to be different for me. I mean, if you want to do two weeks, OTAs I'm fine with that I didn't really want to be necessarily where I was playing the entirety of the year I like to come back I like to be around my family and frankly I was going to get my butt up in the morning I was going to go work out I was going to be accountable and responsible to myself and so as they started tempering back you know the expectations the offseason went great dude these guys they go be turds like and here's the one thing that really bothers me about you know talking about working out away from the facility and they're like oh if you're not here and you get hurt you're not going to get paid well you get done with mini camp or OTAs in mid June, you have a month and a half, basically five weeks or so till training camp. So you're telling me if guys get hurt at that point in time, like training, you're not going to pay them. Like it drives me crazy. Like, what do you expect them to do? And so I understand you want them there. You want to be able to do things because coaches, especially love, you know, all powerful control and they want to govern, especially college guys, every part of your life. But if you draft high quality humans, who are going to be in shape and show up and work out and they care about what they do, you don't have to worry about those guys. So bring them in for a couple of weeks, do, you know, six, do six to 10 OTAs, maybe a little mini camp in there and let them go. If you want to have stuff available for guys, have it available. But the problem is the voluntary has turned into mandatory and because right. you're going to be penalized if you're not there. And that, that's the biggest problem. And then the beef that I have with it. And then when a guy gets hurt, it's not like the dude was out skiing or doing something ridiculous, you tear your Achilles and you're running on a football football field. Like the guy's trying to get better for you to be the best that he can be. Like that, that doesn't make any sense to me. This story to me is it frustrates me beyond anything, and it's it's always been this dynamic. We the, the the NFLPA just negotiated a a new CBA. They just they decided on what their rules were going to be for the players in that league, and they have had this voluntary kind of off-season workout program forever, ever since Bobby and I we played into in now where it's this it, – it's kind of this gray area where it's like it's voluntary, but certain teams, I'll tell you, if you don't show up for uh, voluntary workouts in the off-season for the Patriots, you will pay the price. Belichick, and I can yeah. speak to that personally, There is it is not voluntary in most coaches' eyes. You better be there, but the NFLPA needs to – clearly negotiate that so there's no more gray area so it's like some guys you know uh you know if the star players can work out on their own but the the guy, last guy on the bench can't it, it to me they need to be uniform in in the offseason and they had a chance to negotiate that less than a year ago and they didn't they left it like it's always been where the offseason training is a voluntary thing um and i just think i just don't think that's smart to do i will say this at the end of the day I get what the players are doing. You know, they're using maybe the COVID as a, a way to kind of you know, uh, <laughs> give some more leverage um, in this. But I think it's it's a little bit grandstanding and it sounds a little hollow when there's so many other things that our, our union should be uh, worrying about and focused on. And that they had a chance less than a year ago to negotiate, you know, where the offseason, you don't have to be there. They didn't do that. They left it uh, the way it is. And so there's gray area there. And so I think, they get what they deserve when it comes uh, when it comes to this. I do. So I'm putting with what you guys are saying together, and it's almost like you'd rather, as a player, have had like a three week mandatory spring camp rather than like a nine week yes. quote unquote voluntary camp that really isn't voluntary. Is that right? Like, you, like yeah. the, so, that would have been better for you guys, right? I would. I would, at least I would be you, a fan of. Yeah, yeah I would have preferred that. Just give me. Make it mandatory, and if you want to extend it longer than just what mini uh, mini camp is, which is three days, no problem. You know, a mandatory three week uh, off season that that would be fine with me. But make it clear and concise, so you know it's not like so you don't have to, 
you know, figure out if your job's going to be on the line if you don't show up for voluntary workouts. Make it mandatory so I know for a fact I got to be there. Okay, last thing, and we're going to finish. Go ahead. Well, just quickly with that, the reason why guys don't want to be there, some of these facilities are trash. Like, New England has a nice facility, but a lot of guys, like, you go there, they don't take care of you. They don't have good food. They don't have good places to work out. And so, like, why why do they want to spend more time here? So, like, that's a tighten up to three weeks, have everything else just open weight room availability, and they're not allowed to take attendance. Guys want to come. They come when they come. If not, you go back to where else you live, and you work out there, and you show up in shape. And if you're a turd when you show up, well, then you're going to get your butt cut. That's not a bad idea. I mean, like you do it in May and June, and that way the NFL gets its content, which is what they want, right? Like, so you get yeah. that in May and June, and you're taken care of. All right, last thing, and we'll finish where we started here. Um, since you guys are both defensive guys, and I don't know that I've done like a panel yet with like exclusively defensive guys, I want to ask you guys just kind of like about the state of the game. <clears throat> and it really jumped out at me, um, you know, over draft weekend where. You know, like you see the number of offensive players going high, and you see the number of receivers, and you see like some of the depth issues at corner. And I even like, you know, like somebody brought up to me how like a lot of the corners this year were sons of players, right? Like where the play, like they, they're like their dads are saying to them, like you should play corner because there are less of these out there. And like J.C. Horn's, uh, Joe Horn's kid, Pat Sertan's kids uh, going high. Uh, you know, Molden, he was a, he was a player's son, Asante Samuel Jr. So um, like, and you look at it and then it crystallizes with the first 15 picks. There are only three defensive players in there, J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertan, and, um, and, and uh, Micah Parsons. Like how much is this like just where football is? And I know you guys do follow the game at the lower levels and, you know, Bobby, your dad was a high school coach forever. Um is this just where the game's going? Like, as two guys who, you know, made your money on defense, like, is is did the, is this just not going to be stopped? You know what I mean? Like, is this just going to kind of – is the boulder kind of rolling down the hill on this? Well, most teams invest less on defense than they do on offense right now. You, you get a great quarterback. You surround him with talent. You have your defense that can kind of hold on. And so what are the positions you need? Guys that can impact that quarterback – Elite edge pass rushers that we've, as we've seen, have a massive impact. Those guys go really high. Corners going to go really high. Safeties have kind of been devalued unless you're really versatile. Off the ball linebackers like Ted and I, basically dinosaurs. Like, unless you got to make sure you can play all three downs. You saw Micah Parsons go high because he's a guy that can provide in the rush game and he's really good in coverage. Um, but I do think there will be a little swing back. I don't know if these guys will get drafted really high, but if you go look at the Bucs, how they won their Super Bowl, they don't have great a great secondary. They have really good pass rushers, and they had two elite inside linebackers in Levante David and Devin White. And those guys, they said, pass rushers, go take care of Pat Mahomes. Hey, White and David, try to lock down their tight end, take care of Andy Reid's 37,000 screens that he's going to run at you, and take care of the run game. And we'll just get really deep and not let them throw the ball over our head. And that was Bowles' game plan. And it was it was beautiful. It was beautiful, but they just – it's not the running game anymore that you have to be worried about. If you're a linebacker, like, you've got to be have an elite skill set to be able to get drafted high. So, essentially, you're looking at really corners and, and uh, defensive ends or an elite D tackle are really the only guys that have the ability to get in the first round anymore. You know, I find it interesting, you guys, that the it feels – I always thought it was the other way around for so long. If the NFL, it's a trickle-down effect. The NFL is going to impact the, you know, the, the college game. Um, and that more college teams were going to try to kind of implement what the NFL is doing so that more guys could be drafted. It's the other way around. I mean, the college game is influencing the NFL game. And so you're seeing a lot of these teams, uh, a lot of these offenses, very much having kind of hybrid systems like the NFL kind of uh, philosophies – mixed in with collegiate uh, philosophy. So you're seeing more and more, I think, uh, I mean, you had a couple of teams in the in the top 10 draft wide receivers uh, to match up with the quarterbacks they had in, in college. So it's obviously it's more of a passing game than it's ever been. The influence of college on the NFL game is more evident. It's never been more evident than it is right now. And I think maybe to highlight what Bobby's saying, I'll put it this way. So my last year in the NFL was, was 2004. And I played uh, every uh, snap. It was 50% of the snaps of our base defense, okay? And I, like Bobby, was what you call, like, you know, the, the prototype middle linebacker, um, run stoppers. I would come off on third down. And, and, and so they put in a guy that was maybe a little bit better equipped to, to, to cover the pass. But I played 50% of the snaps 
in the NFL in 2005 as a base uh, Mike linebacker in 3-4. Today, I would maybe see the field 20% of the time. Um, my snaps would, would decrease big time. So the game is not biting in a phone booth anymore. It's not about who's tougher, who's bigger, stronger, who wants it more. It's about space, athleticism, and scheme. That's what it's totally become now. And so it's not about who's tougher. It's not about who's got more will, who's going to be, you know, standing still, uh, you know, still standing at the end of this game after a, a, just a, you know, bloodbath of a game. It's not like that anymore. It's more of a finesse, space, scheme game than it's ever been. And you're seeing influences in that. And that's where they want to go more offense. It's more geared for offense. So I'm not surprised less defensive, uh, you know, players are getting drafted because, of all the rules being bent more towards offense and the influx of uh, college uh, kind of influences, if you will. And I'll, I'll leave you with this here, Albert, and this goes, I'll drop another parcellism in there for you. His thing was you can only draft the players that the college game gives you. And so college game right now, very little defense being played. It's a wide open style. Like you're not going to be able to find guys. Belichick, Belichick kind of goes counterculture with that, but it's tough to be able to find guys if you want to play a different way. No question. All right. And I, this was great guys. I feel like we could, I feel like we got like a half dozen other podcasts we could do off of this. So I appreciate you coming out. He's Bobby Carpenter, a uh, former first round pick, former cowboy, uh, lion, dolphin, and Patriot and Ohio state Buckeye. And so I got to put your alma mater in there too, Ted, and, uh, Ted and, John. And he's, he's Ted Johnson, former Colorado Buffalo, uh, second round pick and expatriate, uh, three time Super Bowl champion. Guys, this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming out. Hey, and also, we're also Parcells guys. And so that's a. Exactly. <laughs> I want that on my resume too. So, hey, it's good seeing you, Bobby and Bert. We'll, we'll see you, buddy. All right. All right. Yes, thanks, sir. guys. All right. See ya. All right, thanks to Ted. Thanks to Bobby. That was fantastic. We'll jump right into the six-pack. You guys know how this works. Every week on Tuesday, I put the call out for questions on Twitter. If I pick six, if I pick yours, you get an answer here on the podcast, and you get a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart button. If I don't get to you here, chances are I might have gotten to you in the mailbag. That'll go up on Wednesday on the MMQB.com as well. First question of the week from Jeremy Fredericks. That's at FredericksJK. Hi, Albert. What are your thoughts on a second-year breakout player um, from each conference? Thank you. So I'm going to give you in the AFC, Jeremy, Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from the Chargers. I really believe in what Brandon Staley is going to do defensively for the Chargers. And there are so many good players around Kenneth Murray that I could see as the nerve center of, of, of Brandon Staley's new defense. You could see him having like the sort of playing like the sort of like the Roquan Smith in Chicago role there. So I really see him kind of being the nerve center of that defense and a guy who I think could really burst onto the scene with a Pro Bowl type of year in year two. And in the other conference, in the NFC, I'm going to give you Van Jefferson, who I look like I think part of the Rams, you know, like operating this year and like what, what they do what they're doing on offense um, it's going to open up more opportunities for the receivers, especially guys like Van who can threaten on different levels of the field. And I just look at it like there was a point of the off season where I actually had sniffed around at the idea, Hey, maybe the Rams to get some salary cap relief could trade Robert Woods. Now it's never going to happen. Um, it was more teams asking about Woods than it was, um, you know, Woods actually truly being available. But one thing I was able to pick up along the way was that the Rams really did feel good about where Van Jefferson was. And this is before they drafted Tutu Atwell. So give you, give you a Jefferson for the AFC or for the NFC Murray for the AFC. And I'm doing that saying like, I mean, they're the obvious guys like that were really good last year. It could be great this year. I'm disqualifying them from the conversation. So if you want one of those, I guess Jonathan Taylor would be the guy for me who I think could win, wind up winning the rushing title uh, in Indianapolis. Question number two, this is from Zach Fogelman. That's at Fogelman. Zach, is Cleveland Kansas City's biggest threat in the AFC? Do you think that the Browns will be a top two seed in the AFC and win the AFC North? Are they Super Bowl contenders? They are stacked all over. Zach, you are right. And I'll tell you this, you look at their roster, they're starting to build ahead. Like they're starting to build you know, into spots where they maybe need some depth. And so, you know, going and getting Greg Newsom and Jeremiah Osukoromoa 
first two rounds of the draft. And there were needs at those positions, but it's not like they're overly weak. And I think that tells you where they're at from a roster standpoint. So I think Cleveland is certainly in the mix. And they're well-rounded enough now where I think you can say how the quarterback comes along and the steps that Baker Mayfield is able to take in 2021 are going to dictate where the ceiling is. So I would say that the, the Browns are right there. I still think Baltimore, I mean, to me, like the, I, the that team, um, yeah, and what they've been the last couple of years and, you know, where they are when they're at their best. And I think the way that, that Eric DaCosta builds that team, the way John Harbaugh coaches it, yeah, I think even though they haven't gotten to the championship game and their playoff record the last two years has been spotty, last three years really has been spotty. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, if you're knocking on the door enough and you have the kind of well-run operation that the, the Ravens do, then then you're going to be right there. And so I would say, you know, Baltimore's there. Of course, Buffalo's there. So many good young ascending players, but Cleveland's in the mix. If you ask me to single out one, I'd probably still say it's Buffalo just because, you know, you look at the roster and it's like Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds and Tredavious White and Deion Dawkins and Stefan Diggs, these are all guys that can still get better. Question number three from Taylor Rourke, that's at time is after us. What are internal expectations for the season in, Indianap- in, in Indianapolis with Wentz's first season there and all the pieces they've added this offseason? Taylor, I think that they expect to be right in there with those teams that I've just mentioned and that I just ran through. Um, I really do. Like, they, I, like they've been building that thing. I mean, for this is going to be Chris Ballard's fifth year there. It's going to be, God, it's hard to believe we're, we're that far along already. But, yeah, his fifth year there and, and Frank Reich's fourth year there. And, you know, the luck thing, of course, set them back a little bit, but the foundation is strong. And if a couple of things happen, like Woody Pay adds to the pass rush, Eric Fisher gets healthy and can be competent at left tackle, that could be a really good team. Like you said, like a lot still rides on, on what's going to happen with Carson Wentz and um, you know, how he looks in a, in a new offense. But I think they have the pieces in place where, again, if a couple things hit, Rocky Shin develops a corner. Cody Pay becomes an immediate contributor in the pass rush. And Eric Fisher works out at left tackle. I mean, there are a, there's a lot of good young talent on that roster. Question number four from Russell Midkiff. That's at RB Midkiff. Did the Bengals do enough to improve their offensive line this offseason? The jury is still out, in my opinion. I'd agree the jury's out. What does Riley Reef have left? What can Jackson Carmen be? Those, to me, are the two questions that I think you have to answer to figure where you're at in their offensive line. Um, they do have, like, some good pieces. That's the thing about it. Like, Burrow got the crap kicked out of them, and they, that's because they had some serious holes. But... Like, I think when you look at the holes they have, that's a, that also, and you, you overstate it, does sort of like kind of miss the fact that there are some players in that roster that are, you know, good, young, ascending players, you know, all along the offensive line. And that starts, of course, with Jonah Williams, their left tackle. I think Jonah can be a, a really, really like a good left tackle in the league for a long time and showed flashes last year in his first year really playing. Trey Hopkins, like a, I think a really good piece at center. Like the way I look at it is, you know, if if Jackson Carmen can like plug right in and play guard and he's played in big high leverage spots as a collegian and Riley Reef still has something left as the right tackle, I actually think they got a chance to be okay and justify the fact that they passed on Panay Sewell and took uh, Jamar Chase with the fifth overall pick. Finally, or fi- not finally, this is my fifth question of the sixth, the idiot. Uh, question number five, Michael, that's from at MFiddler02. Will Mac Jones get a legitimate chance to compete for the starting job this summer? If so, if so and he beats out Cam Newton, what are the chances Cam makes the team? I can't see Cam as a backup. I, I agree with you on that, Michael. I think if if Mac Jones were to win the job coming out of camp, my guess is Cam Newton would probably be gone. Jared Stidham would be the backup. I just it's hard for me to see Cam in a backup role, and I think you know the Patriots would probably do him the favor of letting him go to pursue playing time somewhere else. It'd just be awkward, you know, with a rookie quarterback and wanting to show him that you're behind him. I think it'd be tough to have a former MVP behind him. Now, I don't think it happens. I don't think Mac Jones is going to be the starter coming out of camp. I think Cam Newton's going to be the starter coming out of camp. And I think whether or not Mac Jones gets in the field doesn't just ride on his own development. I think he's pretty ready. 
Um, you know, that makes it unlike situations in San Francisco and Chicago where think how soon Fields plays, how soon uh, Trey Lance plays. I think that depends on their development. With, you know, New England, I don't think it's Mac Jones's development. I think he's fairly ready to go. It kind of is what he is. I think it more has to do with Cam Newton's play. And so, you know, I, I don't think Cam Newton's going to have the whole season to prove that he can get back to, you know, what he was a few years ago. Um, you know, but I do think he's probably going to be the starter coming out of camp. So they probably won't face the circumstance you're laying out there, Michael. But if they did, I think it'd be tough to have Cam there as the backup. Finally, question number six. This is from Not Who You Think I Am. That's at Don Ridnour, our buddy Don Ridnour. Why is it that more ex-players go into coaching versus scouting? As you mentioned, scouting would seem to offer way more freedom for an ex-player. Don, I think it's simple. I think it's the money. Um, scouting is tough. Um, the lower levels are not very well paid. The equivalent of a position coach um, in scouting is a is an area scout. Area scouts aren't paid as well as position coaches. The same way directors aren't paid as well as coordinators. The same way GMs aren't paid as well as head coaches. And so, you know, I think that a lot of players get out of football and they don't want to spend the amount of time that it takes to be in either of those realms. I think the the hours are a little bit more manageable in scouting than they are in coaching. Um, but you know, I, I think the money is a factor. And if a, if you're a player and you're used to making millions of dollars and now all of a sudden, if you want to get started in scouting, you got to start as a scouting assistant and you're making whatever 40 or 50 grand, it might be a little bit more difficult to do that than it would be to become a quality control coach and know, well, in a year or two, maybe I'm making 500,000 as a position coach. So I think money has, I think money's a big part of it. Um, and you know, I, I think that, if you like, again, like if you get used to making a certain amount, it can be tough to swallow going all the way back down the totem pole and making a lot less. And we've seen guys do it in coaching and doing it in scouting to make it. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien's a great example of it. Who I, I believe he took about what half his salary was at Duke to go to New England and get in the NFL. And we we see where it wound up getting him. I mean, he was head coach in the league for seven years. So you know, we see people take less to make it in both scouting and coaching. And it's just harder, I think, for ex-players to reckon with that because they're used to making a lot more money. Appreciate you guys coming out. Always appreciate you guys coming out. And we appreciate your feedback. We want your feedback. And it helps us kind of decide where the show is going and everything else. And we'll have some news on that next week for you. Um, But I'd love to have more feedback for you. And the best place for you guys to do that, of course, is on iTunes where you can help other people find our show so leave us a rating leave us a review there again it really helps us with the algorithms and all that other stuff and always remember to listen to all the mmqb podcasts all the si podcasts my podcast the weak side podcast with jenny and connor of course the mmqb podcast on monday mornings um, you can find all of us where you can find all your shows at spotify stitcher tune in google play apple Podcasts, wherever you get your programs we are there same time next week i'll see you guys then 